listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 73. Today, mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Craig Giannino, Director of Player Development for the University of San Francisco Baseball Program, to talk about the buy-in process with regards to mental skills training. Coach Giannino presents us a front row seat into his creative and thoughtful approach in building culture and how he blends mental skills training within his program. If you are looking for impactful and creative ways that will strengthen leadership, culture, and mental fortitude within your program, this is the episode for you. Hey, Coach, how are you? I'm doing great, Grant. Thanks for having me on the show. Excited to be be talking with you this, this afternoon. All right. Well, so am I. I'm excited not only to learn a little bit more about your role as the Director of Player Development at University of San Francisco Baseball, but I want to learn a little bit more about how you get athletes to buy into the mental, mental performance or mental skills training. You've had tons of experience at the high school and collegiate level, and I can't wait just kind of get into your mind a little bit about uh, mental skills training. Yeah, it sounds sounds exciting. Um, I'm excited to talk about it and uh, hopefully share some of the experiences that I've been able to, uh, you know, experience with our players um, from the high school level and the co- collegiate level. Uh, and I would I would preface by saying there's just there's really no magic wand to getting players and athletes to buy into the the mental side of it. It has to has to sort of organically happen. For sure. And I know this firsthand, and and I can't wait to hear a little bit about kind of your process and and what entails, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what what makes your program so magical. So, but before we get into that, though, I always start off my my show with this my favorite question. It's about mental toughness. So, what does <laughs> mentally tough mean to you? Ooh, that's a loaded question, you know. And I'd say it roots back to my childhood and my upbringing. Um, I think it. Uh, I think my father had a huge role in in my mental toughness. Uh, not really understanding what that meant as a young kid growing up, but as I got older and older, he was he was really really demanding and really really hard. So there wasn't a whole lot of positive praise that was was uh, given. It was, hey man, if you wanna if you wanna achieve a goal, you've got to work at it, and you've got to relentlessly work. And as you continue to work and you experience setbacks, you got to continue to persevere and rise above and bounce back and you have to bounce back better than than the the average person and so that always stuck with me Uh, and then when I got into probably college uh, I had I played for a coach uh, who just did not tolerate excuse making he in fact called them alibi Ikes and he just had no tolerance or, or or place for anybody any player that had an excuse he had a very short uh, pay, uh, tolerance span. So I think no excuses w- is a huge part of developing your mental toughness, finding a solution to the problem and helping. Um, really, when I understood that I had to become responsible for managing my actions and myself, and I had to catch myself when I wanted to make an excuse and, and find a solution to that problem um, is when I sort of, that was the key that sort of unlocked my, uh, my development personally and, and really professionally. And so a lot of my players that have played for me, uh, I will, I will uh, probably can, can, uh, have some stories about 
my lack of tolerance for excuses and, and always trying to have a solution oriented mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome. You know, when you think about your coaching career, when you, when you think about all of the experiences that you, you went through up until this point, can you share a time where you had to be mentally tough? Uh, yeah, I would say probably early on in my playing career, I was a, really just an average player at best. I had a younger brother that was about 16 months younger. Um, he was gifted with a lot of the ability. I was gifted with average ability, but I was gifted with a pretty resilient heart and soul. And um, I was also diagnosed with hemophilia, which is a bleeding disorder early on, which meant that anytime I had a bleed internally, I had to uh, infuse to clot the bleeding and stop the bleeding. And so early on, I had to do things differently um, to be able to play sport, which carried a huge weight on my family and and doctors didn't really know what the best approach was to be able to manage that and say hey go for it go play baseball go play basketball etc cetera, etc cetera. so we found a way with and it was just a collaborative effort with with my 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 family my doctors and my coaches and uh once we were able to get over that hurdle um i really never used the 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 so-called disability as an excuse. I always wanted to be treated just like every other kid. I had some limitations that I had to be aware of, but, but the, my, my parents' attitude, the doctor's attitude uh, sort of manifested this attitude and I can do this. I just have to, I have some parameters I have to be careful, uh, but with, but that, that was sort of a, it's always been sort of a, a moment early in my childhood that, that uh, helped me, understand the importance of overcoming a physical or emotional setback. Um, and so I think that I have a, a unique perspective on, um, uh, just as many do, even just knowing, learning about your story, you know, those moments sort of create this grit in you, um, because you don't know any, any other way, you don't know any different. And so I think most, most players, coaches, friends, family that know me, uh, don't really associate me with the hemophilia. It's just it's just something that I manage and deal with. But as a result of that, it's given me a different perspective and point of view um, on pursuing goals and ultimately trying to pursue greatness. You know, when you were actually you know sharing your story, I was thinking about yes, mental toughness, but you said the word grit. And mm -hmm. I had somebody that was on my show last year. Her name's Kathleen Baker. She's a silver medalist swimmer and a uh, different situation, but she actually uh, had Crohn's disease and she was diagnosed, um, I think younger or later in her life, but like in her teens. And she has to deal with so many workarounds for her to actually be an elite athlete. And, and, and when I hear her story and I hear your story and there's my story too, you know, with adversity, it's, it's, it's more than mental toughness. It's that grit. It's that resiliency and the willing to act, the willing to be committed to do different things just so you can actually compete and do what you love. Yeah, there's no, no, no question. You sort of, it goes back to what I said earlier about mental toughness and just sort of the idea that I'm going to find a way to solve the problem 
Um, I heard Nick Saban talk. He, he defined it just recently. And I was listening to a little video clip and he was talking about how he never really defined mental toughness. And for him and his program, he's, he, he, he spoke to his team about, you know, what will break you emotionally and physically. And obviously what breaks you emotionally leads to breaking you physically. And so I've always, since I've heard that it sort of goes back to the no excuses, find a way, um, you know, I had to, I had to treat, infuse myself prior to performance. I played basketball and baseball in high school and then baseball in college. And so it was making sure that everybody knew everybody was on the same page. Um, and, and, uh, there, there were just, it was just the way it was. And, and I, but as a result of that, I think players that my teammates that I played with, um, really embraced the fact that, Hey man, this guy is not going to let anything stop him. He has some some things he has to, you know, work around, but as long as everybody's on the same page, there's no reason to treat him any differently. And, uh, and I've been very fortunate to be around many unbelievable mentors and coaches and teammates. Uh, in fact, I was, our, our, I played at Bellevue university in, in Nebraska, uh, it's an NAIA school. And, we won the national championship in 1995 and uh, we just got inducted into the Co- collegiate hall of fame back in Bellevue in, in, in Omaha just uh, last year. And uh, our teammates selected two guys to uh, two, two teammates to uh, speak on behalf of the team and in the induction process. And I, I don't know that there was a greater honor um, than them selecting myself and another teammate of ours, Andrew Lewis. So it was, it was an incredible experience. Wow. That's incredible. You know, as you talk about, mental toughness, talking about uh, problem solving, you know, making the decision during a chaotic situation, right? It'd be mentally tough. And, and I always go back when, when people start talking about that, it brings up something that I, I talk about all the time. It's conquering the emotional hurricane and, and to be mentally mm-hmm. tough in any situation, whether if it's in competition and practice, strength, conditioning in life, we always have a, an internal and external hurricane potentially moving around inside us. And how do we actually conquer that that hurricane, you sit in the eye of it where it's calm and, and you get into your breath. And I think when you get into that that problem-solving situation, the only way you can get there is is to actually get into your breath. And and I know that, you know, speaking with you um, multiple times about mental performance, that you're really big into breath. How important is um, when it comes to be mentally tough and gritty and resilient, but how important is it uh, to get into your breath and have that relationship with your breath? Yeah, that's a, it's, it's powerful. I think before you can even get into the breath though, you know, and I'll just take the, the arena that I'm in with baseball and, you know, at the high school level, it was about 23 players. And, and at the college level, the collegiate level, it's, it's 35 players. And so, you know, one of the things that we intentionally do is, um, before we even talk about the breath is just get them into a, a, an environment such as a classroom or a gymnasium where they can allow their bodies to rest and relax and, and, and sort of be aware of the quietness around them. Um, it's just being able to sit in silence in a small, at a small time clip, you know, one to two minutes, 35 men in a room. That's, it can be real uncomfortable and awkward if they've never really experienced that. And so you, you, you do that you sort of, that's sort of one of the ways we've practiced that with our guys. Is you, you literally give them one to two minutes, of just being, and, and then once they've just 
sat with themselves. And you, you talk a little bit about the breath and the intentional breathing and, and the benefits of that and how that can become a routine and how it be, can become a practice. And it's just like any other skill, you know, we want you to go compete with some competitive intensity on the baseball field, but we also want you to be able to do it while being relaxed and calm. And I think that this gives them some sense of control um, in, in their performances. And, you know, it's a, it's a skill. It needs to be practiced. It needs to be fed just like we ask our guys to go work out with, in the weight room or, or hitting or practicing the defensive side of it. So it's, it's, it's really a, we found that it takes time because it's somewhat new and they, in order for guys to buy into it, I think there has to be a level of, they have to see it work for them through the experience and they have to stick with it long enough for, for, for them to see the benefit, but we're slowly um, continue, you know, we continue to do it. And, and I think it's, it's, uh, it's helping, it's, it's helping. And because, you know, you hear guys, you know, what, tell me what you feel like after a two minute, opportunity to sit in silence and then they say what's quiet it's calming now now let's add the breathing to that so now let's go another two minutes with the with the intentional breath and how to intentionally breathe what does that feel like you know just this sense of relaxation so one of the outcomes of all this uh, of the work we do with our guys is really at the end of the day we're trying to our, our outcomes are we want our players to be able to perform with confidence aggressiveness and the right amount of relaxation depending on the circumstance in their in their performances and so we talk about those three things frequently in our in our teachings with them whether it's in the classroom in the community in practice or in game performance. It's all relative and it's all interlinked and they're all transferable skills that we're trying to help our guys understand. For sure. For sure. You know, and it's, you know, when you take the words calm and aggressive, you know, they're, they're, they're totally opposite sides <laughs> of the spectrum, but no doubt, you know what I mean? But like when you sit there and you put those two together and you can actually marry them Man, it's it, it's a beautiful thing, and and not too long ago when we saw Tiger Woods, we all been you know wanting him to have that comeback story, and when he did, he had three words that he focused all weekend long, and it was calm and aggressive, calm and aggressive, and when you can actually marry those two together, which seems like they're on spec, you know, opposite sides of the spectrum, but it's a beautiful thing when you can actually incorporate those two into your performance. No, for sure. And I think that the calm and aggressive, you know, you know, I've heard, I've heard the term silent assassin, you know, uh, I think, I think what it, it also, what is really important to, to understand is we're dealing with, with human hearts and we're dealing with personalities and every personality is different. And so we have to be very careful um, and uh, to label, Hey, well, you're not being, you know, you're, you're too relaxed or you're not aggressive enough really what, what, what you need to do is get beyond the surface of the relationship and understand that the individual kid you're dealing with to be able to understand if he is using the right amount of aggressiveness in the situation, is he confident enough? And really the confidence is really roots in the body. It's a byproduct of trust. And so, you know, I think, and that's one of the things that we work with our guys quite 
regularly with is just this the idea of uh you know they're they're in a classroom once a week for almost an hour just not not including their class schedule just for baseball and you know the the whole concept of of uh bringing them into the classroom is you know we're trying to move move their mind in the classroom so that when they get to the field they have the ability to perform with this trust and belief in themselves and their teammates yeah hundred percent. That's awesome. Now tell me a little about, share with my listeners a little bit about your role. Uh, you're the director of player development at university of San Francisco for the baseball program. What does your role entail? Yeah. So my role entail it's, it's interesting, man. It's pretty elusive. I guess when you say player development, what, what does that really mean? And, you know, I'll just define it for what it means to me and, and how I approach it with our team and our program. Um, because I think a lot of player development, uh, is categorized in the metrics um, in, in the game of baseball. Um, but really my role is really to, to, I'm their ultimate belief coach in many ways. Um, my role is to help develop the camaraderie and build the identity and help guys help our team understand what their mission is. And, and they, and they have the, the opportunity to, to create the the mission and the vision for the for their to, to create their identity uh, for the for the year in the program, and so it's really player driven, and it gives them a sense of ownership. It gives them a voice. It gives them the opportunity to develop their leadership skills, and we do this through classroom experience. Uh, we call them player development. Uh, I'm sorry, character uh, and culture development meetings, and. We start early on in September. We go for about an hour in the meetings each week, and each week players have uh, responsibilities and roles in each meeting. It's all facilitated by me, but the work is done by the players. And so it's a it's a foreign concept in some ways for 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 young guys when they come in there. They're sort of like, "Whoa, wow! I gotta, I gotta, I gotta speak in front of my peers." And I said, "Well, fella, you know, fellas, this this game is all about you know you hear, you've heard the term since you were five years old. You know, you got to learn how to become." comfortable being uncomfortable and i'll tell you what you stick you stick 35 guys in a room and you place one of their peers in front of the group that's that brings a whole lot of different kinds of discomfort for for certain guys uh, so we really try to to talk a lot to them and get them to understand the importance of acceptance versus judgment and this room is an opportunity for us to really peel back the layers and get to know each other on a deeper level. That's going to help the help with the player to player relationships, the coach to player relationships. And so just to, just the simple concept of getting to know one another and then really try to attack their hearts and their souls. Um, and, and, and so we use, we use a book by John Gordon called you win in the locker room first. And 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 it's broken down into seven chapters, the seven C's to a successful team. And, you know, one of the, the, the chapters is, you know, caring. And so really what we do is, well, let me back up for a second. When, we, when I first get them, they get the opportunity to develop their value system. And really, you know, every team in the country has got a value system. You go into a locker room at, at uh, Texas or Pepperdine or whoever, any collegiate, school's got this sort of this, this these words on their wall 
and really I've tried to challenge our guys to, to number one, they're going to, they're going to develop their value system connected to the four pillars and the standards of our program standards, but they're going to create their own identity through this value system and they're going to have a role in this. And so they were able to, uh, work together and collaborate and narrow down a value system that was meaningful to them, not chosen by the coaches, not, it was meaningful to them. And once it got solidified and voted on, um, then we did all the work we did week to week was out of the book of John Gordon and was connected to the value system. And so, for example, the, this last year's team, they, they, they chose the star and the star meant the F was selfless. They defined it as attack your role. Trust was the T, believe in your process, believe in our process. The A was accountable, keep, stay on it. That was their verbal mantra. And the relentless was the R, never satisfied, finish. And so one of the players decided, you know, he raised his hand in one of the meetings and he said, oh, coach, fellas, I got something here that's sort of sublime in, in, within the message. And I said, well, what is that? And he says, uh, well, when you spell out star and you look at it, if you spell, if you take the T-A-R, that's tar. And that could be a, a message within, within the message. And the tar means when when we when we uh, when the outside sees it being a, an adverse situation, we're down three runs. We just give up, you know, two walks in an inning, um, and there's some adversity, perceived adversity. That means that that's the glue. Tar is the glue that binds us together. And, and so, the more perceived chaos, the more we come together as a group, and we use that tar concept within the star. Then another player says, okay, well, I, I, coach, if you spell it backwards, it's rats. And uh, so that became a, like a, a, a two-strike mantra or mentality. With two strikes, we got to hone in and compete. And we're going we're gonna, to, you know, and, and a Japanese player had talked about the resilience of rats and the never give up in rats. And it, it was, it, and it's, it's just, a, it's incredibly powerful when you, when you, when you give them a voice and you let, allow them to, to, to speak to their own ideas, their own thoughts, and then they have the ability to act on their own thoughts and ideas. And selfishly, they're teaching me and I'm learning more from them than I'll probably ever teach them. And so, so that's, uh, th those were their values. So, you know, the star is the, is, is, is something that is special to that team. And they, their vision was built from the bottom up. You know, their vision went in a sequence win the moment, protect home field, win the series, win 40 games, win the WCC, win a super regional, go to Omaha, win a national championship and graduate. And their mission was Don's brothers for life, achieve greatness. And so when you have it, when you have it uh, defined, there's some clarity and there's some focus and the vision is very clear. And so they understand who they're playing for, what they're playing for and why they're playing for it. And so it, it's really a, a special process. And, you know, last year we came from behind 17 times to win a game and you know that just doesn't happen without some buy-in from the guys and the belief that they have in each other in the process and in what we're trying to build at the university of san francisco uh, so it, it's a it's a lot of work it's, it's just like anything else you have to continue to nurture it and upkeep it but really it's about the words are the words but the actions and the behaviors that you attach to the words is, is where the magic happens. And so we're now we're, we're able to teach to it when we see a kid being selfless and a player demonstrating those behaviors in practice or 
in the community or with another teammate, we're able to act on that and highlight it. And so it's constantly taught to by the players and by the coaching staff. Wow. Um, it was a little long-winded there. No, man. You could have kept on talking for the next hour. Because... I could. I could go. <laughs> That's... I'm passionate about it. And I really am passionate about this, this, ask, this component of, of the game because it really has the opportunity to develop their mindset. And, and really what we're after is them taking ownership ownership of the process ownership of the team and they you know i've always said to to teams and players man when we when we do not have to coach our role is done you know when we have 35 coaches that understand the vision and understand the culture and are living it through their actions and behaviors is magic because when you practice it enough over time through your actions and you've acted on the words and you've demonstrated them through the actions and behaviors it then becomes a habit and once it's become a habit, then we're talking, we are now performing with instincts. And the instinct just becomes, it's just a part of who you are. It's a part of the fabric in, in, in the DNA of who you are. And, and that's where the character piece of it really shows, shows itself. Totally. You know, honestly, as, as, as a mental performance coach, also as a coach, there is for me, there's nothing more rewarding when there are athletes or the whole program is bought in. They're just bought in. And, and I, and I love what you're doing because, you know, you even said at the very beginning of the show that there really isn't a blueprint on getting athletes bought into either mental skills training or culture or leadership. I mean, there's so many ways of doing it because of the the dynamics of the athlete, because there's so many different types of athletes. So, when you when you think about the the buy-in process, do you think for what you're doing at USF, do you think the buy-in process is coming from these weekly meetings? Uh, you know, I, I think you know I take credit for it. I, I don't know. I, I know that they, they contribute. I think they contribute and they're they support what we are trying to do and how we're trying to do it. It's a it's a specific process that we are very clear about and we know the direction we want to go with, with the process. And I, so I think that really it, it's when you're dealing with human beings, um, you're dealing with different teams every year. Um, each team is going to take on a life of its own. Um, and so I think I will say when you have intentional time carved out, each week and you're in a classroom environment where they have the opportunity to enter in silence. They have a, an opportunity to journal reflect uh, about how they're arriving in the, in the environment that day. It could be baseball related. It could be school related. It could be just flat out life related. Um, and then you, you transition into the, the player presentation. And that's where, you know, for example, if I, if I take you through a day in the life of a, a meeting, that's how they enter. And then I, I say a few words at the beginning. And mind you, this is right after they've already been to the beach for their strength and conditioning team building workout from 6.30 to 7.30 in the morning. And now they come into the classroom and they get a chance to slow everything down. And then the four players present and the first player presents on, on a song. We have a song that he sends me the week prior. I project it. He writes a reflection as to why he chose the song and how it connects to the star value system and the cha and, and the, and the chapter read on caring for that week. 
The second player then comes up and he, he chooses three quotes from the book and writes a reflection and speaks to the team about why he chose it and, 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 and how it connects to us. And, and the third player video clip, five minutes or less, we broadcast the video clip, project it. They watch the video clip. Uh, the player gets to speak to it, same concept, write the reflection about it. And then the fourth player, which is, you know, every player at some point in their career, and I would say, based on, I'll just say, I don't have research to back this up, but I'll say my coaching experience to back it up. Every parent and player at some point crosses the magic line and forgets the role they're in and decides they want to be a coach. And, oh, well, I'm not, my son's not playing today. Oh, the coach doesn't like him. Or the player says, oh, well, why am I not starting today? Stop coaching. Just stay in your lane. Be the best player you can be for the team. And all, all, everything will work out. So the, the fourth role is um, you get to be the player coach for the, for the, for the week. And you get to talk about, uh, we call it build on, work on. It's a reflective, reflective process. Build on. What are, you, what are we doing well as a team? What do we need to continue to improve on? And they, they have a chance to talk from a player coach's point of view. And, and so then, you know, that's just one week. And then when, when they're done with their presentation, each one of them shares something that we, we don't, we may not know about them just to connect a little more personal, uh, uh, you know, a little personal trait to the player. And then it gets, this is where it really gets magical is it goes dead radio silent. And uh, toward the end of the meeting, I, it's it's they sit in silence and they have the the floor is the players at that point any player at that time has an opportunity to affirm or constructively criticize and they come to the front of the room and i have a slide that's projected and it in in its in its essence it says it's not personal what we're doing here is it it, it all goes back to protecting the culture so we have to understand the difference so if somebody affirms you it's connected to the culture we're building and trying to continue to develop and enhance. If somebody criticizes you, it's not personal. It's, Hey, we are trying to move in the same direction and I need you to X, Y, and Z. And then they end it with a bro hug and they sit down and, and we find that the more that we're able to have these affirmations and constructive criticisms each week, um, you start to really uh, develop the team chemistry and the camaraderie and guys are able to start to develop that trust amongst one another and the vision becomes more and more clear as to the direction we're going and why we're going the direction and why these things need to be said uh, and it's for the betterment of the team and the program. And so, so we found that, you know, just the intentional upkeep really has the opportunity to, to lessen the players uh, complaining or, developing in clicks we try to we try to we try to handle all of it in these meetings and we found some success with it i think we're still building but we've we've seen some some really valuable positive uh outcomes as a result you know what i love about these meetings and what i love about what you're doing there not only and i know that we've scratched the surface a little bit on mental skills you know mental skills training but it's sure. culture, right? For me, outside of what I do, I, I love culture. I love talking about it. I love how to teach people how to create it, how to sustain it and protect it. And which is funny is that a lot of times when I'm working, and this is probably more at the high school level, but when we're talking about culture, I think a lot of the, the athletes understand that they need to create it and they need to live it and sustain it. But they, when you say protect it, what does that mean? And what does it look like? Because 
what sometimes, which is, it's interesting. I've had some awesome conversations with coaches and athletes is sometimes they don't realize that the other team, the other opponent, they're there to test your culture. Yes, they want to win. They, they, I mean, they want to get the W, but all they're trying to do is they're testing your culture. How strong is your culture? How, how strong is your communication? Where is the leadership? And when another team can actually expose that, it's not a fun feeling, but, but when you're not allowing anybody to expose it, that's where the culture thrives and it shows up. And, uh, and it just, it seems like what I'm hearing is that you guys are not only creating it, sustaining it, but you guys are definitely protecting the culture there. Well, you know, and I think it's a, you know, I have the opportunity, you know, I'm prideful in that I grew up in what I, and I'm biased, believe the greatest city in the world in San Francisco, born and raised. Uh, and so when I talk to the guys, I try to elevate the, their understanding of what they represent. And they represent that they're, they're representing the greatest university in San Francisco, and they are playing at an elite level representing the greatest city in the world and they're getting a life-changing difference-making education at, in the greatest city in the world. And so to, to elevate that and, and allow them to understand and to hear that, I, I think hopefully inspires them, um, you know, because what I do do when they, when they arrive into these meetings, I typically will have some sort of song on that connects San Francisco and, you know, obviously, Tony Bennett, I left my heart in San Francisco. I mean, I know the San Francisco Giants play that song after every game or win. Um, but we, we, I use that a lot with our guys just to, just, to, just to remind them. And, you know, I could certainly send you uh, an illustration that our, one of our players, because we are a Jesuit school, and he, he drew a uh, – he illustrated this anchor – and it's sort of the illustration that hangs. It's the illustration that hangs. We did a graphic design to the illustration he drew out, and then he then he defined it, and it's really beautifully written, and it really speaks directly to what we are trying to achieve, based on what they developed, what they designed, based on their thoughts and their actions and their work. And so, you know, when you, when it's all said and done, and you talk about, you know, it started with it started with these thoughts that became words and then the words hopefully become behaviors and actions. Then over time, the behaviors and actions become instincts and a part of their character. But the, the, the outcome of all of that is the legacy they leave. And so to be able to give them those opportunities uh, intentionally as part of the experience at the University of San Francisco, I would like to hope and think that it creates uh, something special um, as much as we want to win and lose. There's no doubt, uh, but something special about the experience in their four years when they move on and they get that degree and they go uh, crush the, the real game of life. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, y y like you said, like our thoughts influence our behavior. And if we can get these thoughts, these words and really live them into our fabric of our being and, you know, it becomes positive behavior. You know, and when you were talking about music and music that is actually generated from uh, San Francisco, which is my home as well, uh, instantly I thought of Journey, Don't Stop Believing. Uh, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, that's the song. To be honest with you, anytime, 
there was too much traffic inside my head and I started to listen to my thoughts and not talk to them. I literally remove myself from that room, wherever that is. It could be, I could be in a hotel room. I could be, I could be, at, you know, at, 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 on campus somewhere. I remove myself and I put that song on. For some reason, that song just like, it just changes my whole being. It changes my stress levels. Um, that's the power of music. But I love how you're connecting the roots of San Francisco uh, into these young men by using by using music. Well, and, you know, it's, um, well, first of all, don't stop believing journey. I mean, that's, that's timeless, right? I mean, right, that's, right. It's timeless. But, you know, when, when we're in the meetings with the, the players and they send me their songs, you know, my initial reaction was, oh, man, this is a rap song. This is pretty hardcore. I'm like, you know what? So this is this is I don't want to compromise the that person. And their thoughts and their actions. And why they chose it. I mean, obviously, I I, I will if it's really explicit. Yeah, obviously, we're going to make a little bit of an adjustment there. But I've really tried to let go of that and um, allow that that's part of them being themselves and i think in the end what we're after with all of our players is did we impact them and influence them enough to value servant leadership did they develop the tools well enough to become consistent in all of their performances um and if you can do those two things you, you have a chance to be really really successful but it takes a tremendous amount of work and awareness because there's sort of nothing sexy in the, in that in that because they're all behaviors controlled by the individuals um and so i think that you know we just we we try to we try to always talk to our guys about opportunity to learn opportunity to learn i have had some great mentors in my life from Doug Williams to Augie Garrido to Al Endress to Mike Evans to Coach Giratano. And, you know, Augie uh, really had an impact on my philosophy and teachings. And, you know, he he really turned the the mindset, at least for me. And, you know, everybody's always talked about baseball as a game of failure, game of failure, game of failure. And he looked me straight in the eyes and said, he just said to me, he said, you know, it's a, I'm tired of hearing that it's a game of failure. It's a game of failure if you choose not to learn from it. But what if we replaced failure with opportunity? It's a game of opportunity. And so I, that's always stuck uh, with myself. And it's always it's, it's shaped my mind and my mindset and how I approach things and try to try to hopefully live with, with the players I have the privilege of working with because they're incredible young men that have incredible futures. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, I think the thing that when you talk about this culture thing and, you know, we, I think have a, we have, we have refined it enough to where it, it's defined. So now you just feed it and you feed it. And I would say our guys are probably, you know, they probably get tired of hearing me or finding different ways to feed it, but you, you have to constantly renew. You've got to constantly pour into it. And, and so, you know, I think we're, I think we're doing some special things and, and really excited um, as to the direction we are going. Absolutely. It definitely sounds like it. I mean, it feels like it, um, you know, as you're sharing all this stuff, it's definitely resonating with me and, you know, and I, and I think, you know, 
at all levels, but at the collegiate level, when we talk about, you know, failure or the fear of failure and, and just using that word failure, you know, it's like you said, it's if an athlete can not plug into the emotional side of failure and plug into the feedback, it is, it's empower, it's so empower, it's, it's powerful, but it's empowering because failure is informative. Like if, if you don't get the feedback from it, then you get stuck basically in your failure because you're plugging into the emotional side of it. And, and usually well, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No. I, and then, I, you know, failure that. typically when you fail, guess what happens behind you? And it's, it's out of your control. So in the moment, if you can plug into the feedback of it, um, you, you can, it's like, I always ask athletes all the time. I'm all, if you lose or if you fail, can you get better? And a lot of times they're like, well, I don't know. Well, yeah, you do. If you plug into the the socket of feedback because it's informative. So, and, and it's hard to get athletes to bot into that because, because the game is so passionate. They're so passionate about the game. They're so emotional and I want them to be, but I want them to also learn how they can control themselves in the moment and get the feedback and not the emotional charge of failure. No doubt. I agree. I would take it even a step further around the emotional side of it and sometimes why they can't get to the present moment fast enough mm. um, because it's rude. It's it's it really what it boils down to for me is how they choose their attitude in, in the, from that previous experience. So if they have an attitude of a teachable spirit, a learning spirit, they have the opportunity to bounce back a little bit quicker at USF. You know, our, if you go into our head coach's office, you'll see on the walls a big frame picture. It says 11 seconds. And that's sort of the mantra, 11 up. It's sort of the the baseball, everything from the first, from the time the pitch is made to the swing or the take of the pitch. You have about 11 seconds to, to flush it, get back on it, choose the right attitude so you can, you can be present in the moment for the next play. So we use that process of 11 seconds to, to help them bounce back from one experience to the next and and you try to really you try to develop the bounce back to be consistent regardless of the circumstance so i strike out what's the what's the behavior look like i hit a home run what's the behavior look like can we can we perform with some sort of consistency behaviorally Mm -hmm. because i i think when you do that the more consistent you are in your behaviors the more consistent you have, uh, you're going to have, you're going to have the opportunity to be more consistent in your performances. And you always see the emotional highs and lows of guys off the field. And I always correlated it with, you know, you, you can sort of see how they spike in their performances from high to low. And so you try to shrink the gap from low and the high points and you try to get them to, to shrink so that they can get to the middle ground and they, they have the ability to stay emotionally in the middle but a lot of that has to do with emotional intelligence awareness yeah um and maturity really it's for sure you know it i we were talking about this before we were recording today about um aaron miles and i had aaron miles on my show uh right when i started this this show a couple years ago and uh he was telling me that he goes if i strike out if whether if it was swinging looking if i strike out if i couldn't smile about that, that means then I got all pissed off and I'm not getting any kind of information. I'm not learning from it. But usually if I could sit there and smile because A, I'm, I'm in a better position to kind of to get the feedback. But he goes, 
but I'm getting excited the fact that I have another opportunity. And he goes, a lot of people, when they strike out, they don't even think about the next opportunity. They think about right now how they screwed up or how they looked and whatever it is, whatever meaning they're making. But it was just kind of a cool, cool way of looking at it. Um, he goes, there's some people that are on my team. They're like, dude, you just struck out. Why are you smiling? And he goes, you know, and he goes, and I had to explain myself, but you know, it's not about them. It's about me. It's how I, it's my routine. It's my process of how I deal with failure. Sure. And I think, I think the other the part that I could add to that is, you know, when guy, you know, just typically when a guy strikes out or, you know, a play doesn't go their way, you know, they're, they're, they're already going to beat themselves up. Uh, that's just in our nature as baseball players and, and elite performers. Um, we're already going to be harder on ourselves than anybody else. Right. And you often find that there's a teammate that's going to come up to you and be like, and, and pick you up and, you know, and, and be like, Hey man, it's, it's all, I got you next time. You know, there's going to be some sort of positive, typically, at least the teams I've been around, the, the pickup teammate uh, process has been pretty good. But what you realize is, and I learned this um, later in the coaching career was, man, when a coach or a player picks a teammate up, it makes them feel better about themselves. Um, and they're able to probably bounce back a little bit quicker. But what if, what if we taught our own, what if we taught our players to pick themselves up by being their own best friend because they're quick to pick some and somebody else up. But when it happens to them, they quickly forget to give that same self talk to themselves that they would give another teammate. And so that's where, you know, development to the next level really clicks is when they have this self talk that's ingrained in themselves that really they, it's nice to be picked up by your teammates, but really, I need to be my own best friend and I need to pick myself up and move forward. Yeah. And you start to get into a whole nother level of development when you have, when you can get to a place where 80% of your players are being their own best friend. tough, tough to quantify, tough to, to measure, but you can, you can really see it in behaviors and body language. Well, it's like the, the whole concept of going, you know, Oh, for four, right. Um, I mean, that's the crazy thing about baseball. You could do everything right and go over four and, and that sure. can kind of play with your, you play with your mind. And, and as you were saying, it's one thing, if, if your teammate goes over four, you can be there and hug them and love them and, you know, and support them. But when you go over four, are you actually evaluating that as a negative or a positive? Are you, are you really looking at your quality at bats? You know, are you looking at all the things you can control, like just making contact? And if you did, is 0 for 4 good for you? Can you still get back up the next day and feel that you're a great baseball player? Or are you going to wake up the next morning going, I went 0 for 12, now I'm 0 for 8, now I suck? I don't know, do you? Right? And all, and all. Well, I, th I think, well, I think that's, a, you know, that's the society we live in. About It's all about the outcomes. You know, my average is this. I have this, uh, one point ERA. My whip is, we look at all the outcomes. Right. But really the outcomes are a byproduct of a sound, practiced intent purposeful process yeah and so you know if it were up to me i'd probably eliminate you know if you go to a major league baseball game and you go to the plate as a hitter and you look up i mean you see oh i'm hitting 200 like 200 i don't want to like that's a that's a trap Mm. To, to, I see the I see the outcome, but nobody knows that I've been getting on base. I've been hitting atom balls. 
I've been putting good swings on pitches, but I just have nothing to show for it. I mean, Brandon Crawford last night in the Giants game hit three line drives and they were all outs. So it's a tricky, slippery slope. Um, and, you know, I know you know him as well. I, you know, I had a text, a phone call from Hunter Bishop the other day. And he's just like, gee, man, I, I feel great, man. I'm, I'm seeing it good. I'm putting good swings on it. I just have nothing to show for it. And I just, I just encourage him to continue to be patient with himself and continue to stick to that plan and that process. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't try to change anything. Just stay there. Keep your confidence where it is because it's going to come, but you got to stay the course. And it's just, you know, those little conversations. And I talked earlier about, you know, I'm a belief coach, I I guess in some ways, um, but really I'm trying to, to help develop my belief in them to become their own belief in themselves. Yeah. And so really that's rooted in authentic relationships and sincere relationships. Um, because it, you know, at the end of the day, it's, I, I, I come from a point of a point of view of, you know, what can I do to help? How can I help somebody get better? And I think that's what we try to do with our players is like, what are you going to give today? Not what are you going to get? What are you going to give? Because when you give, when you've given for four years, and you look back on your four-year career, I almost bet there will be authentic, raw tears coming down your face because you know you've given everything you could give in the four years you've been in the program. For sure. And so I think there's just, uh, there's just again, it goes back to servant leadership and, and really getting our players to understand that it's, it's uh, it's not about you. It's not about me. It's about all of us. And what can we do to uplift and empower one another to be great? Yeah, I love it. I love it. You know, a couple questions here before we we sign off here. Yeah, I've um, taken too much of your time already. No, man, this is great. I, I again, this you know, if I could talk for the next two or three hours, I would. Um, I don't know if my listeners would dial dial in for for that long, yeah, but they uh, probably but I, tuned me out about an hour. Ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this stuff, this is, you know, I love this stuff, you know, as far as my frequency, I, I vibrate like no other when it comes to having these conversations and, and this is for me, it's timeless, um, just to have these conversations. But when you, when you think about mental skills training, right, everything that encompasses mental skills training and breathing, meditation, visualization, self-talk, focus, refocusing strategies, routines, intentional work, the list goes on, right? There's a lot that, that encompasses this type of training, what do you think is the most important skill within mental skills training for an athlete to adopt? Um, the most important skill, uh, I, I would, I would probably have to, shoot, that's a tough one when you narrow it down. All right. But pro, uh, yeah, I would, I would, just have a believing spirit. Like, so it's, I, I guess you can look at that in, in terms of visualization mm. and starting to see images that you want to have happen. You want to create in your mind's eye. You know, I, I think there's some power in that imagery. Um, and when you do it, um, uh, relentlessly, consistently, and you, you start to create these, these outcomes that you want to see happen, then you go to work in through your preparation and your work ethic to, to help match the two. 
And so, because when you, when you start to see things happen before they happen, uh, the game slows down. Yeah. The game really slows down for yourself because, and, and, it, and it becomes an optimistic approach. And, and, and so I think just imagery and visualization uh, and really creating the outcome you want to see happen for yourself is really powerful. And sometimes because, you know, again, it goes back to thoughts, you know, the mind is elusive and the mind always wins. So a lot of the times we're not feeding ourselves the right, the right thoughts to start. So then the image becomes negative or uh, it's one of doubt or fear mm. or the what if. Yep. So we try to really, I would say really trying to, I guess, positive self-talk, which is used a lot, but really you have to work at it. Um, and it's got to be in the, in positive connotated language, mm -hmm. and it, which leads to visualization and imagery, I think would be sort of the two that go hand in hand for me with, with how we approach things. Um, because, you know, coaching, you know, back in high school and being a head coach at Sarah, I did a lot of this work with the, the players there. And, you know, you know, I would oftentimes see things happen and I would, guys would be in the on deck circle and I would tell them, this is, this is what we're going to do and this is what's going to happen. And they didn't have a choice, but to believe me, they thought I was crazy, but, but I just, I just constantly was trying to get their mind to, to see it happen, which also sharpens your mind. It sharpens your mind and allows you to stay in the moment when you start to visualize experiences that you want to have happen for yourself. Yeah. So and I think it's a choice too. I mean, oh, you yeah. have choices in how you want to see it. Totally. So I don't know if that answered the question, but no, I mean, it is, I mean, I, I'm, I, I, I'm with you on it. The visualization is, I mean, not, not only are you training your unconscious mind, so your just body reacts and you're in, you're just, you're, you're in your most comfortable self of just reacting, but it adds confidence and it's confidence on how you move your body um, it, at any part of your performance. Now, I always, I always say like C in three or, or power of three and, you know, because your brain doesn't know the difference from a physical rep and from a uh, mental rep. So if you're actually visualizing what you're going to do before you do it, then you do it and then you do it one more time, whether if you did it really well, lock in that lock in that experience in your mind or re-correct it or course correct what you need to do better. Right there, you have three reps. You have a pot, you have two mental and one, and one physical. And if you're doing that every single time you're swinging the bat and you're getting three reps in, your brain doesn't know the difference. So you're, you're locking in all that confidence, right? And it's a choice. It's a choice to do that. But I also think with visualization, I think breath to me is like, it's like the, the foundation. Oh, hand in hand. No yeah. Doubt. So if you, if you, and, and I, well, I was just going to say that I think with, with the, the young kids that we, we were around I mean they're not that young, but they're young enough where it's, you have to concentrate. Yeah. You have to focus. Mm -hmm. So I think that when you're saying, you know, you know, if, if we were teaching a skill at, you know, in base running and we had one live runner running the rep, there were two guys behind him taking the mental reps. So it's amazing how once their physical reps over, they would transition to, to take a mental rep and they'd lose their concentration because they just did the physical rep. And so 
you know, with our guys, you were constantly telling them you, you practice like you play, you play like you practice practice like a champion you're gonna play like a champion yeah you practice like a dog you're gonna perform like a dog so <laughs> you know i mean it's just it's just it's fact but it right. takes a lot of concentration and it takes the player the player's mental capacity and discipline to concentrate and i would even say recognize when they lose their concentration if they can recognize when they lose their concentration that's a, that's that's a win in of itself because at the end of the day, when we're in a nine inning dogfight with a team, our goal is to hope. I mean, the physical part of it's going to take care of itself, but we want to use the mind as a weapon. And if 35 guys' minds are sharp and disciplined and focused and locked in, well, then we have a chance to really wear a team out just because of the mental discipline that we have as a group. And so, you know, I always tell our guys, man, hey, man, when we walk onto that field, man, I want that other team to feel us. Like, I want them to feel our presence. Mm. That's two runs right there before the game even starts. And so we're chipping away at that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's – um, it, but it takes a ton of practice, a ton of work, uh, a ton of mindfulness, to, and just awareness. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think the – I think, I guess to sum it all up in every rep you take was the intent, a game like intent. Yeah. You know, every, every rep, was it, was it purposeful? And, you know, I mean, you've seen it enough to see on the football field or the baseball field, guys that are locked in and on it and guys that are, that lose their concentration and just sort of go through the, the actions of the rep, but don't really get any better because at the end of the day, we're trying to continue to develop, to get better and better and better. And just the cycle of process of learn and reflect and get better. And right. Yeah. You know, it's so funny. And I, ha I have to say this just because, um, you know, there's, there's a connection with coach sure. Patrick Walsh over at Sarah. Um, yeah. well, we're all, you know, when we were all coaching together, but you know, when I had him on the show, we were talking about culture there's so many other programs out there that that have they've coined their culture as the earn it culture or um, the the like Patrick called it the feel it culture. I want people to come on my campus and feel my culture. And so when you were just talking about having the other the opponent to feel you guys, it, it just brought that up. And yeah, it, no doubt, no doubt. You know what I mean? So it's powerful. You know that your culture is thriving when someone can feel it. Yeah. And the exciting, the, the sort of the scary part and the exciting part is that each year you get a new group of freshmen or junior college transfers in now. Yeah. Whereas you also have the returning guys. So you're, you, you, you sit with, okay, so how do we continue to develop this? And this is the part of the learning process that's exciting for me because it's sort of in its infancy stages where, where we get the opportunity to decide the direction we want to go with it you know do i take the the older guys that have been in it for two years that understand it do they do they do all of the presenting this year to the younger guys you know and so that's where we'll sit down with our leadership council and team and we'll we'll we'll, we'll come to a, an agreement on what they think is going to be best for this next year's team and it's just really magical when you can work in collaboration 
you know, I always talk about, you know, it's the end of the day is we, we work alongside our players. There's times where it has to be vertical, but a lot, you know, most of the time we want this relationship to be horizontal. When we're working alongside you. We may not have all the answers, but we want to show you that we are, we are going to be consummate learners, just like we're asking you guys to be. And so it just really develops this optimistic environment to want to learn in, grow in, compete in, uh, and, and ultimately have fun in. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's you're, you're preaching the gospel right there. I, I love it all. You know, um, one more question before we yeah, sure. sign off here. Now, this is more about this is more towards you. When you think about yeah. reflecting <clears throat> on your whole career as a coach, yeah. what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? Um, I think I've learned that <clears throat> what matters to me most and, and what I believe to be at the heart and soul of who I am and what I want to, what I want players to feel is that I cared about them. The relationships mattered to me, whether it had to do with between the white lines or it was a conversation about their life. I want, um, I think I, early on in my career, I was really stuck in wins and losses and, um, you know, that was sort of the wrong model for me. So it shifted my philosophy. And I, I think I, I also am always trying to learn to try to provide a better experience or the best possible experience I can for the, the players, the athletes that I come in contact with. But I want them to know that I'm passionate about, I think my passion, I think my passion and energy is really what I've learned to never to never uh sort of push to the side i think that's who i am this is an energy passionate teacher that wants to help players develop but also learn from the players i have the opportunity to work with and alongside beautiful beautiful man well coach I mean, I, like I said earlier, I, I could talk to you for the next couple hours on, on this topic. And I just want to thank you for being on my show, sharing your, your thoughts, your stories, your energy. Um, man, I, I know I'm excited. I know my listeners are when they listen to this. So thank you again for being on my show. Graham, man, it's, uh, it's, it's, I'm passionate. You felt the passion. I, I appreciate you having a the platform for, for teachers and coaches to be able to come on and, share their experiences and you know i was listening to one of the podcasts last night that you did with uh, the football coach from illinois and sort of got my blood flowing and juices <laughs> going and so you know it's just uh it's, it's great that you're doing this and and continue to, to do it and 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 get some of the great teachers out there that we never hear from because i think for as coaches and teachers we're always trying to learn and get better develop our leadership styles um, and at the end of the day, grow, grow the game that we're in and the field that we're in for the betterment of our players and programs. Beautiful. So thank you. Yeah, you bet. 